The Orioles made one trade on deadline day on Tuesday. That was sending Jorge Lopez to the Minnesota Twins for four pitching prospects. And coming up, we're going to talk about those four pitching prospects and who could be the guy the Orioles really targeted in that deal with Minnesota. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, August 5th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we're going to start with some news and notes about Orioles draft signings, what Mike Elias has talked about this week, and preview the Orioles Pirates series at Camden Yards this weekend, and then we are going to dive deep into the return the Orioles got in the Jorge Lopez trade. They got four pitchers back from the Minnesota Twins in Tuesday's deal, and we're going to break down all four of those pitchers as Seth Stowes joins us, the founder of Twins Daily, who does a great job covering all things in the Minnesota Twins minor league system. We're going to talk about all four of these arms and which of them really could make an impact at the major league level down the line for the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And before we get started, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Make sure to give a five-star rating and a review if you can, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you're watching right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel, make sure to hit that red subscribe button, like and comment on the videos as well. Get in on the conversation, respond to what I'm talking about here on the podcast. It really, really helps out the pod. And even if you're just a listener, you're not a YouTube viewer, if you could head over to YouTube, just hit that red subscribe button on the Locked on Orioles page. Doesn't change your life. No annoying notifications. Just helps me continue to bring you Orioles content here on the pod. But again, we thank you, the listener, for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. And for your first listen today, we start with some Orioles news and notes. And now, these are things that came down earlier in the week, and we will start with the Orioles draft pick signings. Because back on Monday, this kind of got lost in the trade deadline being Tuesday, and of course, with the Orioles trading Trey Mancini to the Astros on Monday. But it was the deadline, Monday afternoon, to sign draft picks from the 2022 class. Now, the Orioles selected 22 players in the 20-round draft back in July. Now, they ended up signing only 18 of those players. And really, the big reason was because one of their higher picks, they were not able to get a deal hashed out with. So, the four players they did not sign, and the reasons why I go as so. First, the big one was obviously the third rounder, Nolan McLean, who was a two-way player, right-handed pitcher, and a big-time power hitter who strikes out a lot at the plate. Orioles were prepared to have him mostly be a pitcher, but let him DH in the minor leagues and see if he could, you know, rise up the system as a two-way player. But there was some disagreements about potentially his bonus it also, you know, sounded like there may have been a little bit of issues, you know, with the medical of Nolan McLean, and eventually the two sides did not come to a deal. So McLean was actually the highest pick in this year's draft that did not sign. First pick of the third round, 
Orioles were not able to sign him. There was one other team that did not sign their third rounder. That was the Mets this year, but the Orioles' highest selection who did not sign. So because they didn't sign him, the Orioles will get a compensation pick in the third round of next year's draft. Now, the other three guys they didn't sign, much lower in the draft. The next one was 15th rounder James Hicks, the right-handed pitcher out of South Carolina. He had actually undergone Tommy Don surgery earlier this spring, pitched in only two games, made two starts for the Gamecocks back in February, left with an injury, got Tommy John. For him, it probably makes sense. It was only his first year at an SEC school after transferring in. He gets Tommy John. If he believes that he can come back and pitch at some point, kind of maybe late in the 2023 college season, if scouts can see him on a mound, Probably he'll get picked higher than the 15th round and is betting on himself that if he gets healthy, he can make more money in the draft. 18th rounder Andrew Walters also was not signed by the Orioles. He was seen as one of the tougher guys to sign. And, you know, the reason why he fell all the way to the 18th round is because I think teams thought they wouldn't be able to sign him. So the Orioles take a chance in the 18th round to, you know, maybe see if he will sign at the last second, if they can throw enough money at him. This used to happen a lot more when the draft was 40 rounds. Teams in rounds 35 and below would basically take high school players or young college players who most knew were not going to sign with the pro team and either go to college or stay in college, but they would sign the guys just in case one of their top picks did not sign, and then they could send that money to one of those high school guys and maybe get them to go pro instead. Waltz is one of those guys. He just had too high of a number for a relief pitcher. He's heading back to Miami. And then I would say the most surprising lower round pick to not sign was Alden Mathis. He was the Orioles' 19th round pick, a two-way guy, an outfielder, and a left-handed pitcher out of Richmond. And it sounded like maybe the issue was the Orioles drafted Mathis as an outfielder and wanted to keep him as an outfielder, but he wanted to continue to pitch. He wanted to do both, and of course, he will be able to do that going back to Richmond for another season, so that's what he's going to do. Uh, we'll see if he can improve his draft stock next year. But, you know, without Nolan McLean on the books, you know, the Orioles were not able to sign him. One of the other guys they drafted as basically a backup plan, along with Andrew Walters, was Carter Young, the shortstop out of Vanderbilt, who the Orioles took in the 17th round. And he was another guy who was a former top prospect. Many thought he could be a first-round pick at the draft at some point. He was one of the top high school players in the country when he committed to Vanderbilt, had a fantastic freshman year, and then had a, a pretty serious shoulder injury. And once he came back from that this season... His bat was just kind of not there. The power was was waning. You know, the average went down. Not a lot of things looked good for Carter Young. So he actually decided to transfer out of Vanderbilt and had committed to LSU, which is kind of building a baseball power right now in Baton Rouge. He was committed to LSU. They did bring in another shortstop, but that player, you know, it, it looked like Carter Young was going to be the starting shortstop at LSU. So many thought, well, the Orioles aren't going to be able to sign him. But with Nolan McClain not agreeing to a deal the Orioles were able to give Carter Young enough money to get him to sign. As he gets $1.325 million as his signing bonus, forgoes LSU, and decides to sign with the Orioles. So not as exciting if third-rounder Nolan McClain would have signed, but it is a nice aside to at least get Carter Young in. He's a great defensive shortstop, super athletic, and the bat has been there. So if the O's can get it figured out and get him fully rehabbed from that shoulder injury, this could be a really sneaky good 17th round pickup for the Orioles. And now, 
you know, you may say, oh, they didn't sign their third rounder. Did they spend all their money? Well, by giving that money to Carter Young, yes, they did. They spent their entire bonus pool plus the 5% tax on top of your pool that you're allowed to spend. The Orioles actually spent the second most money ever in a draft pool in the history of the MLB draft. So just because, you know, some guys go under slot or you don't sign a top guy doesn't mean you're a cheap team in the draft, at least. The Orioles did spend all of their pool. But speaking of the draft, of course, Mike Elias talked a lot after the draft, mostly about, you know, Jackson Holiday being the first overall pick, who, of course, signed for big money as well, $8.2 million. We have yet to see Holiday be assigned uh, to an affiliate. Uh, mostly, he will probably go to the FCL to start over the next week or two. But Mike Elias did also talk to the media on Wednesday after the trade deadline and, and just wanted to, you know, touch on a couple of things that he had talked about. One thing was he, he met with some of the team leaders like Cedric Mullins and Ryan Mountcastle just to kind of reassure to them that, you know, this team is still headed in the right direction. They are still trying to win now while also being fully focused on the future as well. You know, he kind of walked back a little bit of what he said on Tuesday, which was about how, you know, he didn't feel like this team was ready to make the playoffs this year. He walked it back and said, you know, he still has full confidence in this team down the stretch that they can compete for a playoff spot. But his big quote was that the Orioles will be ready for liftoff soon and did say that, you know, he is preparing to spend money in free agency this offseason to add to the team and, you know, essentially go for it in 2023. And now for a long time, 2023 has kind of been the target year since Mike Elias came in and the O's started this rebuild before the 2019 season. And so if that is the case, that's going to be a good thing. The Orioles, you know, young talent is going to be in the big leagues. Really, all of it will be by 2023. So that's certainly going to help. But what I will say is he definitely has to say that. And that better be the case because this team is certainly ahead of schedule with what they're doing on the field here this season. And this offseason was already, no matter what they did this year, the time when they needed to start spending. So that should just enhance that need to spend, add players in free agency, add a starting pitcher, add an infielder, you know, maybe add two starting pitchers in free agency and start to shell out some of that money, trade some of your prospects to maybe bring in a pitcher as well. This needs to be the time, and hopefully Mike Elias keeps to his word this offseason. But in terms of the Orioles at the trade deadline, despite talking about how, you know, it's ready for liftoff and they want to add to the team, they didn't do that at the deadline. Instead, they took away from the team, of course, trading Trey Mancini and trading Jorge Lopez to the Minnesota Twins on deadline day. And on yesterday's episode, we took a look at the return for Trey Mancini, the two right-handed pitchers the Orioles got back. Make sure to go check that out. Today, we look at the return for Jorge Lopez. The Orioles got four pitchers from the Minnesota Twins, and kind of an interesting bunch. One reliever who's already been in the big leagues, one pretty top-ranked starting pitcher, and two guys down in the FCL who could be wild cards or could be guys the Orioles really targeted in this deal. And to help us talk about all these Twins minor leaguers coming back to the Orioles, we're going to be joined once again on the podcast by Seth Stowes. He is the founder of Twins Daily, which covers all things Minnesota Twins, and Seth specifically does a fantastic job covering the Minnesota Twins minor league system incredibly closely. He's going to join us to talk about all four of these pitchers and how they could fit in to the Orioles' plan moving forward. But first, do have to talk about Blue Nile. Because whether you're ready to pop the question or you're just celebrating a milestone moment, you can find the perfect jewelry at BlueNile.com. 
Com. And the reason why this site is so great is they have simple online tools that let you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity as well as, well as setting style. And the bench jewelers they have there will handcraft a perfect engagement ring. And if you have questions or you're having trouble choosing, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7 available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. So make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And going on now is the Blue Nile Anniversary Sale. Save up to 40% on classic fine jewelry pieces and 25% on engagement ring settings. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. All right, so Seth Stowes is back on the podcast with us, the founder of Twins Daily, who covers all things Minnesota Twins, especially their farm system, which certainly took a hit. On trade deadline day here in 2022 as the Twins added to their major league roster. And one of those guys was Jorge Lopez, as we'll talk about that deal coming up. But first of all, Seth, thank you so much for taking some time. I know it's been a busy day, but thanks for hopping on the podcast. It's been a busy day, but it's always a fun day. You know, I mean, it's as much as I hate to see prospects that you get to know get traded, uh, guys with real potential. It's also fun to be on the winning side where you're a buyer, too. So uh, it's been a long day. It's been a fun day. Uh, yeah, the Twins were rather busy. Yeah, you know, we thought over here in Baltimore, the Orioles would be some kind of buyer-seller combination. They turned out to be, I guess, sellers, but not huge sellers. Obviously, they trade Mancini and Lopez, but uh, those are the only two deals they made. And obviously, we're focusing on Jorge Lopez here, who was sent to the Twins to help bolster their rotation. I mean, could potentially have the closer role there in Minnesota at some point. But four pitching prospects come back to the Orioles in the deal. Cade Povich, uh, they get Yenier Cano, they get Juan Rojas, and they get Juan Nunez. Now, I wanted to start with Cano because he is actually the only guy of the six players the Orioles acquired in their two trades who has been in the big leagues at all in his career. And I know Cano you know, has pitched in, in 10 games to – some you know t- tough results in, in the big league so far, but I know he was at least a prospect before he got to the big. So I, I guess my first question on Cano: What went right in the big li- or in the minors to make him a prospect versus what went wrong in his you know short stints so far in the big leagues? Well, first of all, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, the Twins signed him about two or three years ago. Uh, he had just left Cuba, you know, a little bit before that. So he came to the Twins and was already 25. So he's already 28. And the Twins didn't push him straight to the big leagues. He worked his way up. And uh, really last year at A Wichita, he took off. He and uh, Giovanni Moran, who's with the Twins now too, um, you know, really dominated late in the games at A strikeouts, didn't walk too many. He moved up to St. Paul about midway through the season last year, AAA, and really was even better. Uh, he's able to pitch, say, one or two innings. Um, I know he's done three a few times, but that's really stretching it for anyone. Um, he's got a nice mix of pitches. I mean, for those old enough to remember, El Duque, uh, Orlando Hernandez with the twin or with the Yankees during their good years. You know, he can throw the kitchen sink at you, but he can also hit 97 to 98 miles per hour. He's got a good slider. He's got a really good changeup at times. Um, so, but then he finally got this opportunity with the twins and he's struggled with his control a little bit. Um, you know, some of that may be nerves, some of it just, you know, smaller strike zone or batters don't swing it as much. Uh, but his stuff is still good. He just needs to kind of relax, get a few games under his belt. 
um, maybe be in a less stressful environment. You know, the twins are in a, a pennant race right now. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if the Orioles are any less in a pennant race. They have about the same record as the twins, but they're obviously a little bit further behind uh, the Yankees. But, you know, I think he's the kind of guy that I would guess they'll start him at AAA, but, you know, he should get some time. And he's a guy that hopefully will get plenty of opportunities because I do think he's the kind of guy that could spend four or five years in the big leagues. Yeah, and, and you know, it was interesting to see because it was it was six walks in 24 innings in AAA this year and then 11 walks in 14 innings in the big league. So I'm yeah. sure there's a little bit of, of nerves and, and he's a different kind of prospect. You know, as you said, coming over at 25, you know, debuting at 28 is is a good amount older than than a lot of guys when they get to the big leagues. But I do want to ask before we move on to Povich, I, I noticed just watching the highlights, it's it's an interesting delivery. I mean, it's yeah. it's you know it's three quarter to to maybe below, and I was wondering you know what kind of deception you know that can add because I know he's a he's a sinker ball guy and and is a ground ball guy, but you know you would think maybe on that slider that can add to some strikeouts as well. He he should be able to miss bats. Now, will he do that right away in the big leagues? Obviously not. But it, I mean, he's got that kind of stuff. It is a it is a deceptive uh, delivery, release point, all of that. And he sometimes, like others, you know, messes with timing and things like that. But um, he he's a guy that gets a lot of movement, and that might be part of it too. That maybe a little overamped or gripping it a little too tight in the big leagues has got a little extra run on the fastball little uh, extra slide on the slider, all that kind of stuff that could create some of the walks, but it also is, it gives you a sense of how good the stuff can be when he gets it on, on point and on, on the corners and things like that. He's also, you know, I talked to their double a manager last year. He's a guy that um, when he was in Cuba, he told the double a manager uh, Ramon Perego, the uh, twins um, when he was in Cuba he would come in and get a save one night and then he would start the next game and pitch seven innings. And then the next day, if they needed a long reliever, he could go three, four innings. He just wants the ball. And I know that's a little old school, but you know, he's one of those guys kind of a rubber arm and hopefully he stays healthy. Yeah, definitely a guy that can, you know, the, the Orioles are, as you said, going to start him down in triple a. And, and a lot of that has to do with how strong the Orioles bullpen has been this year. It's, it's been the reason why they're currently over 500, right. uh, but you know, he'll, he'll definitely be a depth piece too. As soon as somebody struggles or there's an injury, he probably slots in as that, that next guy to, to get a chance. But I think most agree the headliner of this four pitcher package that's going to the Orioles is Kate Povich, who, I've seen a lot of different spots in prospect rankings. I know you guys at Twins Daily actually have him higher um, than a lot of other outlets do. But a left-handed pitcher who they took in the third round in 2021 out of Nebraska. And I guess I pose it to you because I saw you tweet about him a, a few times on Tuesday. How high are you on Povich as you know a potential future starter in the big leagues? Maybe a little too high. You know, I don't know. It's, uh, the thing is, is after last season, first of all, after he was drafted – you know, there were reports or he pitched a little bit, a couple innings in the FCL, a couple innings in low A ball. And he was throwing 97 all of a sudden when the reports earlier were that he topped out at 92. Um, he's got a good slider, good changeup, good fastball, generally throw strikes. Um, and he's even this year at high A all year, he's shown the ability to miss bats. He's had a few clunkers, which is why his ERA is maybe a little bit higher. Um I guess I would attribute that to a longer season at a level where they pushed him this year. And that's, I mean, I think that's more of a testament to him, 
But, you know, the reports came out last end of last year. He was hitting 97, 98 with a slider, left-handed. Um, I've had him in my top 10 all, all season. At Twins Daily, we update our rankings every uh, the first of every month, although now we're waiting until after the trade deadline calms down to, to reassess. But um, he was number 10 in July, and I'm guessing he would have gone up a couple more spots uh, with us. Um, I, you're right. He's the headliner. He's, uh, he's, he's going to be, I think, you know, pending health and all those other things you worry about with any pitcher. He's got the kind of stuff that I think can make him, you know, I've heard a four or five starter. I mean, I think sometimes that's, you know, the conservative approach. I mean, if that stuff continues to play as it has, and he makes genuine, genuine progress at each level, I mean, I think he can be a solid two, three, which man, any, any rotation would be happy to add. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of progress has been made this year as you talked about it and just reading kind of the, the write-ups about him from the preseason. It was a lot about, you know, we'll, we'll see on the fastball, it's gaining velocity. And a lot of talk was about the curveball. And now it seems as this season's going on, it's like this fastball is there too. Here's this slider as another breaking pitch. And when you see, you know, over 12 Ks per nine, less than three walks per nine. And I, I know he's only in high A, but those are good numbers. And I wanted to throw this word at you because this was the word I read right after he was drafted was just polished college pitcher. Like a guy who comes in, he's got his mechanics down. You know, he obviously needs an uptick on the stuff, but polished was the word I, I had heard. And I, I was wondering if you felt the same way. You know, it's, it is probably a word you hear, but I mean, as a Twins fan, I've heard that when they've drafted Kyle Gibson out of college, uh, Alex Wimmers, um, you know, several others. And it's important because generally speaking, those are guys with good mechanics, uh, good release point, things like that. But he's also, he's got the good frame. He's got, you know, the good uh, extension, release point, all those things. And again, the Twins have done a great job the last few years with their new pitcher development plans and such in the minors where they've been able to add velocity to guys pretty quickly. So, you know, I know the Twins and, and Orioles see each other quite a bit during spring training. So there's probably a lot of guys that, you know, have seen him, you know, coaches with the, with the O's and things like that. So, um, I mean, I do think he's the kind of guy that could move quick. I And I say that because, you know, starting him in high A was, was pushing him a little bit. He's not like he was a – you know, top 10 pick, you know, or something like that, like Jack Leiter, so to speak. But um, no, I think he's, he's got a chance to advance. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's only, he's only still 22 years old. And so, you know, the Orioles I'm sure will put him into high A and with a goal of maybe getting him to double A by the end of the season. And if he doesn't, he doesn't because he's still only 22 years old. So we'll get back to our conversation with Seth Stowes of TwinsDaily.com in just a second, talking about the four pitching prospects the Orioles received in the trade for Jorge Lopez. But first, got to tell you about BetOnline.net, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find news on every league, including, of course, Major League Baseball, but also We got the NFL season coming up, college football, and then right around the corner from that, the NBA and the NHL. There's always combat sports, esports, and golf every weekend that you can check on at Bet Online, which continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering info from live in game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today at Bet Online, where the game starts. 
the last two pieces in this deal, just wanted to mention them quickly. A, a left-hander in Juan Rojas, an 18-year-old out of the Florida Complex League, and then a 21-year-old right-hander in Juan Nunez, also out of the Florida Complex League. And I know there's not nearly as much information on these guys, not as much video. You don't get to watch them on MILB TV. But for Nunez, it's, you know, 47 Ks in 29 innings, which is a good number. I just wanted to, you know, you may not have any extra information on a guy like Rojas, but the numbers of 38 strikeouts to four walks and 89% strikes in 30 innings for an 18-year-old, I mean, no one really knows because he's 18, but you don't really see numbers like that, especially from guys that young who are just kind of figuring it out his first time pitching, you know, in the U.S., basically. Yeah, I mean, he spent a little time in the Dominican Summer League last year, as did Nunez. Um, you know, when people ask me how to kind of rank guys from the Dominican Summer League, and even to some extent guys in the, the Florida Complex League, I mean, so much of it comes to age related to uh, level of competition. So Rojas putting up, as you said, 38 strikeouts to four walks. Uh, you mentioned the 89% strike rate, which is crazy. Um, doing that as an 18 year old is immensely impressive. So I think that's the guy that probably on this list of four pitchers, to me, he's the number two prospect in the group probably. And I don't know a ton about him, what he throws. I mean, they had a guy last year who put up just insane numbers in the Florida uh, complex league. And uh, I'd learned this year that he topped out at 83 or 84. I don't know if that's the case with Juan Rojas, but the fact that he's 18, you know, at least gives you pause to think that there is room for some growth there. Now with Nunez, he he has a great strikeout rate. What did you say? 47 strikeouts in 29 and two-third innings. Um, 4.85 ERA, which, you know, doesn't really matter at that level. Um, but he's already 21. But again, sometimes teams or organizations just simply look at certain things and 47 to 10 on a strikeout rate is pretty good. So, I mean, I think there's at least something to, to, to build on there, you know, yeah. that they'll, they'll get them with their coaches and see what they can do and just see what happens. It's, it's the lottery ticket. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, they got four prospects for a guy that was really bad in the major leagues from 2015 to 2021 and has just had a good half a season or two thirds of a season so far. I think the Orioles should be thrilled. Or the Orioles fans should be thrilled with this type of uh, return. That said, I know he's got years of, of uh, service time remaining, which if he pitches like he has this year, that's great. If he pitches like he has previous to this year, um, that sounds more like a threat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for Lopez, you know, the, the one difference is he had been a starter for six years. This is his first time in the bullpen. And obviously it's amped up his stuff. It's taken his sinker from 95 to 99, moving to the bullpen. But his July has been a little shaky. And the Orioles obviously sold high. Now he's got two and a half years, you know, two and a third more like years of control. So my last question for you, Seth, was, you know, seeing this from the twins point of view, I know you're higher on Povich than than many are. And, and obviously you give up a couple of lottery tickets and a guy who can help a major league bullpen. Where do you see this trade? Do you think they overpaid for a guy like Jorge Lopez? Or does it kind of depend a lot on if he keeps up this rate as a top end closer for the next two years, or, you know, if he just turns into kind of a solid reliever for the next two years. Yeah. It's one of those things where even as a prospect guy, I fully acknowledge that prospects are prospects because they haven't done anything yet. And some have told me that. So, you know, there's time to get there. The whole, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect thing. Um, so I, I, 
I don't feel like they overpaid because, you know, I don't think they um, traded a quote unquote given they, you know, they didn't trade their top five guys, but I think that's fair uh, as an Oriole from the Oriole perspective, in my mind, you know, to get a guy that they took a flyer on and turned into an all-star this year, you know, if you can take a flyer on four guys, and I think just based on our conversation, one of them's kind of a solid reliever already, potentially, and two of them have some serious potential, you know, and then the fourth one's just a flyer. I think the Orioles did well, and yet at the same time, I, I don't think the Twins gave up more than they had to. Um, you know, again, I would love to see Povich stay in the organization, but you got to get give something up to get something. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's who they picked, and um, – I just hope Lopez stays good. <laughs> yeah, Twins fans certainly hope that. And, and Orioles fans, he, he's been such a great story for them. Obviously wish him the best in Minnesota and hope he can pitch uh, in some big innings in the postseason this year. But Seth, thank you so much for joining us. You can find all of Seth's work over at Twins Daily, at Seth Tweets on Twitter. And uh, I'm sure it's been a busy day for you, which means uh, I'm sure there's a whole lot of content for people to check out uh, over at Twins Daily after uh, – uh, you know, I, I got to give credit to the Twins. A very busy day to uh, up their postseason chances this year. But uh, thanks again, Seth, for joining us. I really appreciate it. And again, I hope Cade Povich becomes the next Tyler Wells that Twins fans uh, think about having lost a couple of years earlier. So appreciate you having me on and look forward to talking to you again. And hopefully things go well for both both organizations. So our thanks again to Seth Stowes, the founder of Twins Daily, for joining us to break down the four pitching prospects the Orioles received when they traded Jorge Lopez to the Minnesota Twins on trade deadline day on Tuesday. Definitely some interesting pieces. I mean, obviously, at least at this point, Cade Povich is the headliner, the lefty, the third round pick in 2021 for the Twins. And, you know, it was nice to have Seth on because he's, you know, maybe in terms of guys who cover prospects, especially Twins prospects, seems nobody is higher on Povich than Seth. And, and he was, you know, pretty upset. It seemed to uh, see the Twins let him go. And, and obviously Jorge Lopez is definitely going to help the Twins bullpen. I mean, in his first appearance with the Twins, uh, he got a save, a 1-2-3 inning for Minnesota in the ninth on Wednesday, but the Orioles get four pitchers back. And, you know, Cano is interesting because he's pitched in the big leagues a little bit. Now, not a lot of success, and he's had high walk numbers, but his numbers in AAA have been great. The Orioles did send him to AAA Norfolk, but Yenier Cano, I think there's a pretty good chance he pitches out of the Orioles' big league bullpen at some point this year. He's already 28, big league experience, good stuff, interesting arm angle. He'll help the Orioles at least this season. And then the two guys in the FCL actually both made their debuts in the FCL on Thursday, both with scoreless appearances. Actually, Nunez struck out five in three scoreless innings, and Rojas won an inning and a third scoreless as well down at the FCL where he had a couple guys like Dylan Beavers, and uh, Maxwell Costas and others uh, have their debuts, their pro debuts in the FCL on Thursday. But, you know, we will see. Obviously, the Orioles will miss their closer. Looks like Felix Bautista will move into that role. But uh, we'll keep our eye on these pitching prospects they got back to see if they can help the Orioles down the line. But we thank you for watching and listening along all week to our trade deadline content. We'll continue to talk about things pertaining to the trade deadline, but that was obviously the big episode this week, breaking down the two trades and the two big returns in terms of prospects 
as well. And well, during all that, the Orioles, of course, swept the Rangers and have gotten themselves closer and closer to the wild card. And they finish out this stretch against bad teams here this weekend as the Pittsburgh Pirates come into town for a three-game series at Oriole Park at Camden Yards Friday through Sunday. Of course, it's the Oriole Park 30th anniversary celebration on Saturday night. I'll be in the ballpark tonight for the Cedric Mullins bobblehead. Hopefully the weather holds up. But just wanted to give a quick preview to this series because, listen, after the Orioles are done with these three games against the lowly Pirates, who do come in with a 43-62 and record on the season, their schedule gets extremely difficult down the stretch. And we talked about this nine-game stretch against the Reds, Rangers, and Pirates, all losing teams. Felt like the O's needed to go at the very least 6-3 and three and probably 7-2 and two to set themselves up okay for the tough end of the schedule. Well, right now they're 4-2 and two through the first six games, so you would really like to see the Orioles sweep the Pirates this weekend, get to 57-51, and 51, and then you start taking on the behemoths. You got the Yankees a lot. You got the Red Sox a lot. You got the Blue Jays a lot down the stretch. Still got the Rays, 7 against the Astros. It's, uh, it's going to get much harder from here, so kind of an important series for the Orioles to handle their business. And it starts tonight, Friday night, a 7.05 start, as Dean Kramer will take the hill for the Orioles. Kind of a rough start his last time out for Dean. He will look to bounce back against this Pirates offense, which obviously has O'Neill Cruz in it and has Brian Reynolds. They are very up and down. They'll go up against Mitch Keller, who has a 4.37 ERA, 26-year-old righty in 20 starts so far this year for the Pirates. His last time out, though, not too bad against the Phillies. Six innings, three strikeouts, three walks, one run on five hits. He's not a big strikeout guy, but he can get through some innings for the Pirates. Then you have the 5.05 p.m. Eastern time start on Saturday. Austin Voth takes the hill for the Orioles, coming off a start where he went five scoreless. He'll look to do that again. And for the Pirates, arguably their ace is on the hill Saturday. The 28-year-old right-hander JT Brubaker who has a 4.40 ERA in 20 starts so far this year, but he got shellacked in his last start against the Phillies. Four and a third innings, seven runs on 12 hits with four Ks and no walks. You know the O's would love to do that to him again on Saturday. And the series finishes on Sunday. Spencer Watkins, who continues to roll along, will get the ball for the Orioles, a 135 start on Sunday, and it's the 24-year-old righty Bryce Wilson who goes for the Pirates, a 6.20 ERA in 14 starts, three runs on six hits over five and a third against Milwaukee in his last start with two Ks and one walk. Three kind of shaky right-handers going for Pittsburgh this weekend. You'll see the lefties in the order. Hopefully, we'll see Taron Vavra in all three starting lineups if uh, he can continue to swing that hot bat. And then I'll be back with you here on the pod on Monday, recapping the entire weekend, getting you my three big takeaways from Orioles and Pirates and uh, chatting about the 30th anniversary celebration at Camden Yards this weekend. That's again coming up on Monday's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.